You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, the Dark Tower series, occasionally. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, eventually, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, is Tiny. Yellow. Hi, Tiny. Hey, buddy. Today on the podcast, do you know what we're doing? I do know what we're doing. Do you want to announce it? Or can I, can I, can I? Yes, you can, can, can. We're talking about Dr. Sleep, the novel. Finally. Yes. Stephen King's 2013 sequel, Dr. Sleep, which enjoyed a, by both of our counts, a very good adaptation last year. Very good. By Mr. Mike Flanagan, who follows me on Twitter. Yeah. And replied... You directly interacted with him on Twitter. I I wasn't going to bring it up. (laughs) But (laughs) we are kind of buddies. I did try to slide into his his DMs and I've not gotten a response. Ah, well. That's fine. But, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, that was a very delightful thing, because, like, he, uh, we'll talk about that when we review the movie, um, but okay. today we're talking about the book, Yeah. and before we do that, do we have any King, I, I have one piece of King news that I need to vamp for, um, okay. he got Mr. Stephen King today, which this is going to come out in probably in a few weeks from when we're recording, um, but he recently, as in today... Uh, or maybe it wasn't today. Um, so yesterday, Stephen King was awarded, um, I believe, a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2020 Audi Awards, hmm. the Audio Publishers Association's award. Okay. Um, so it's for his audiobook work. Oh. Um, so yeah, let me find where it is. Yes, uh, he was given the APA's uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, he was awarded it by his son, Joe Hill, hmm. um, who, Joe Hill, also won his own award for short stories and collections. Nice. Um, yeah, Joe Hill said, quote, his passion for audiobooks goes back decades. I know I was there in 47 <laughs> West Broadway, Bangor, Maine. Stories were always in the air and in the ear. Oh, that's nice. Cool. Um, yeah. And King joked when he accepted the award. He said, quote, it would make a hell of a murder weapon, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And he went on to say, quote, I listen to my own books. The reason why is because you can hear everything you did right and everything you did wrong. This is the most honorable form of storytelling there is. Wow. Um, Yeah. And I love audiobooks. I know. They're great. They are perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we can talk about that for just a second. Well, that kind of yeah, that kind of oh, segues yeah. into one of my check-ins. Nice. Um, I so well, I have two mm-hmm. King related. We have started listening to the Stand. Yes. Um, and we're going to go a book at a time. Yes. Which is divided into three books, right? Right. Three okay. books within the whole novel. So within like the novel sections. Right. Yeah. right. So I finished the first book, <clears throat> and nice. so uh, kind of waiting 
And, uh, for me to f- finish the first book so we can... I mean, I didn't want to come out and say it I mean, out you know, loud, but fuck uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, well, those episodes that we're going to record in advance aren't going to come out until later in the year. So right. Like, do you want to just briefly like just say, like, how do you feel about book one? Oh, um... Just really briefly. It's it's truly it's truly a setup, because this is like my... Mm-hmm. F- this is at least my third time through the book. Nice. If it might be my fourth, I can't even remember. Okay. It's my first time with audiobook. Watch the fourth be with you. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> um, it's super long for those who are, un- are unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, f- I kind of forgot how much the first book like is truly just set up, like yes. really introducing the characters world and and world building mm-hmm. and and like kind of getting through the plague. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I just I. Because I have a good memory of what happens, obviously, right. um, and I was like, "Oh wow!" So that's that's what really what the first book is. Kind of when we came to the end, I was like, "Interesting." That's mm-hmm. I, I love when things are structured so well. Yeah, um, and and it's it, it's structured super well with, nice. with the stand. So super flew well. Super flew. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. So yeah. Yeah, I'm like over halfway through book one of that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. for the segue purpose. Oh, nice. Um. While I'm waiting for you to catch up, mm-hmm. I started listening to Frank Herbert's Dune oh, on audiobook. Yeah, which, because I'm like super freaking amped for Denis Villeneuve's yes. interpretation, which is coming out in December of 2020. Yes. Supposed to, I think it was supposed to be like a summer movie, but it got pushed. Oh, really? Which is a bummer, but yeah. uh, I got to wait till the end of the year, but right. I don't care. Right. Um, because I mean, the casting is just out of this world mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> for that movie, and I'm just Denis Villeneuve is a dream director writer mm-hmm. for it. Just so excited, um, and I've so I've read the book before. The reason why I love listening to the audiobook now is that mm-hmm. you know there's like made up languages and yeah. names for things, and like I was I read the physical book the first time I read Dune, ah. and there's all this crazy ass language in it. Like right, there's this like. Uh, like like almost cult like sect where they train mm-hmm. women to be concubines and wow. they're called the Benny Gesserit. Okay. And like if you see it written down, you have no idea that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. And like there's like this Messiah type character that's in the lore of the universe and it's called the the Quetzatz Heterach. Wow. Yeah, I was like, and like, awesome. it, there's like Qs and Xs in there, and like mm-hmm. when I read it, I was like, I'm just gonna call it the Q because what the <laughs> fuck? Um, I knew how nice. I knew it was pronounced because of the movie, because David right. Lynch's movie that came oh, out in yeah. the '80s. Um, but if you, like if you had just been reading the book, you were that movie came out in the '80s, and the book was written in the '60s. So for 20 years, there were probably people like the Quetzalderac or what you right. know, calling it the completely wrong thing. But it's really cool to have like I can't remember the guy who's reading it. I can't remember what his name mm-hmm. is, the actor, but he's like a kind of a posh-ish British man. Nice. And so he's got this great voice. And, um, yeah, it's kind of just cool to hear all these these cool terms that are basically gibberish. Right. <laughs> um, just to actually hear so hear someone speak them. Nice. That's one of the beautiful things about audiobooks. Yeah. So, yeah. Long, uh, long way to get to that point, but, right. yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. Nice. Yeah, I... Should really listen to Dune. Oh man, it's good. Yeah, it's good. That's book. what I've heard. Yeah. So yeah, I'm already thinking. I'm probably going to get. I, I haven't looked yet, but I'm hoping that the sequel books are all on Audible. I hope they're recordings of them because I'm. I believe that. Uh, at least several of them are. Okay. Um, because I haven't read any of those. So yeah. I've only read the first one. Yeah. I think the second one's Dune Messiah, I think. That sounds right. 
Um, yeah, it's really confusing because, like, when you go to Audible, it says, like, series Dune Saga, book 13 for Dune Messiah. Jeez. But Dune is book two. Like, it's, like, book two is, it's listed as book two when it says Dune and Saga. Okay. Dune Saga, so. Yeah. I usually just go to the Wikipedia for the chronology, you know? Yeah. Um, looks like there are <clears throat> six Dune books on Audible. I think that's all there are. Yeah. For the for like the for like the actual true Herbert, there may be some other author who's gotten into the universe, but right. As far as I know, there's five or six books. So yeah, those are all by Frank Herbert. So okay, I want to say his son wrote some. Oh really? I didn't realize Frank. I thought Frank Herbert only wrote like two or three, and then his son wrote like four. Uh, not according to this guy here. Okay. Audible. Okay. Yeah, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson wrote several. Okay. So like, there's. Really? Okay. I didn't realize it was that extensive. Yeah. I've heard oh, some of the sequels are like just as good as the first. So. Really? Yeah. Nice. That's going to be interesting when that movie comes out. My dad's read them all several times. Nice. Big sci-fi fan. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, those are my check-ins. Um, Sweet. Yeah. And you've watched The Outsider. Been watching The Outsider. Yeah, it's going great. Nice. I'm really digging it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, check-ins for me, just chapter like 25 of the stand loving it i had um a couple of long drives like four hour drives um a couple weeks ago and got a lot of listening done nice um so just again just i love audiobooks for that purpose yeah um awesome yeah i also listened to on like not that same trip but like recently um I drove that same distance. Uh, I listened to Revival. Did I talk about this on the podcast? I don't think so. No, I listened to Revival. Um, it's uh, it's very interesting, very good. I really enjoyed it, and I thought that it was um, uh, really cool. As a in in some cases, it, it's kind of an interesting companion to Salem's Lot in a, in, in hmm. a sense. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is that Salem's Lot is a love letter and a um, kind of a, an interpretation of um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. And it's heavily influenced by that and everything. It's, it's patterned by that. Revival, not to such an extent as that, is kind of an homage and inspired by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Okay. Um, and it was really interesting for me to listen to revival as I'm going through the universal monsters, um, collection, mm-hmm. um, on Blu-ray. And it's just, it was really interesting. And like, there's such a cool reference to Mary Shelley. Um, like he name drops her, pays homage to her in the form of a name in the book. Okay. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a good book. It's, I, I liked it. Sweet. And eventually we'll cover it. Yeah. Um, so shall we talk about Dr. Sleep? Let's. Yes. So at long last, um, last week or maybe earlier this week, you guys mm-hmm. heard our review of the Shining miniseries mm-hmm. um, that I hope is still good audio. <laughs> uh, I have not edited it yet because I am a shithead. Anyway, um, <laughs> so that is coming or that has, ha- that has come. And now we are at Dr. Sleep, the novel. Yeah. Tiny. Sir, what is your history with Doctor Sleep, um, from when it was announced or when it came out in 2013 to mm-hmm. when you first read it, like a decade ago? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 
to clarify, you first read it like a few months ago. I first read it, yeah, like this, or, in 2019. Yeah. Some point in 2019. When did we read We read it, yeah, it was like fall, early fall, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, um, yeah, what was your history? So I I remember when, they, when the book was announced and everything, I wasn't... For whatever reason, I wasn't that excited about it, mm-hmm. and I, for, by all rights, it should have been. Um, but I, just, I, I wasn't that into it. I wasn't. I, I waited six years to read the mm-hmm. book. I, you know, I, I don't know why. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have much of a history with it at all. But uh, since we started the podcast, and and really in 2019, I had a huge resurgence of shining fandom mm-hmm. um from reading the book for the second time 20 years after i read it for the first time right um and just falling on falling in love with that book all over again and the torrance family especially um and then watching stanley kubrick's movie and um and just mm-hmm. the 2019 is like as far as like adaptations and and, and pop culture relevance of stephen king yeah. 2019 is like the biggest year he's ever had, probably. Right. I mean, as far as like cultural relevance and mm-hmm. just adaptations and being in the the ether, if you will. Um, so just all that blended together was like the perfect environment to read Doctor Sleep. I think. Yeah. Um, and I've read it twice now. I wanted to, I wanted to read it again uh, before the movie came out, which I did. Mm-hmm. So I've read it twice, and and uh, and if you go to Obsessive Viewer podcast, you can listen mm-hmm. to our uh, year in review episode where I placed the movie at number three on my list nice. absolutely adored the movie mm-hmm. um so yeah it's, it was just a big year for king and, and dr sleep was a huge part of that nice yeah um sweet um yeah i was the same way i procrastinated li- reading it um when it came out like i think i shared this anecdote on another episode but uh <laughs> like last fall on facebook i went through my facebook memories and in like 2013 i had posted something on my facebook timeline that was like um an article about all the international cover art for the upcoming dr sleep the Mm. upcoming shining sequel from stephen king and my post on facebook was i can't wait to read this (laughs) and that was 2013 fast forward six years i finally listened to it on audible (laughs) and uh yeah that i think one of the reasons why i wasn't as I don't know if I was I don't know if I'd say I wasn't drawn to it, but one of the reasons why I didn't prioritize reading it when it first came out in 2013 is because maybe and this is again this is 2013 I was an idiot. Uh I was slightly more of an idiot than I am now. <laughs> um in 2013 it was just like, oh, a sequel to The Shining, that's awesome. And then I read the plot summary, it's like adult Dan Torrance helps people die in a in <laughs> in a hospice center and is hunted by vampires. Yeah. Okay. There's no <laughs> hotel. Okay. But room 217. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that kind of, I don't know. Cause you hear a sequel to the shining. It's like, Oh, he goes back to the overlook, which technically he does. Right. But it's it, like, it didn't feel like, a sequel to the shining in terms of the plot. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think part of my hesitation was, I think I was misinformed by someone about what the book was about. I knew it was a sequel to the shining, but I didn't know it was like, it followed Daniel Torrance. Like I didn't realize oh. that Danny Torrance, I thought, I thought 
it was I, I didn't think the torrents were in it at all. Okay. And so I that's part of why I don't think I was especially enthusiastic about Interesting. it. Interesting. If I had known it was like it followed Danny Torrance, I'd have been like, Oh, okay, I'd be much more interested in it. Probably yeah. would have read it sooner, but Interesting. Yeah. So you've read it twice. I have. Um Will Patton does the narration. Yes. Yes. A uh, fantastic job as always. Absolutely. He's really good. Yep. Um so I'm going to read the plot summary, actually. Okay. And then we can go into non-spoiler and then spoiler. Okay. Um, all right. So the plot summary, courtesy of StephenKing.com, is as follows. On highways across America, a tribe of people called the True Knot travel in search of sustenance. They look harmless, mostly old, lots of polyester, and married to their RVs. But as Dan Torrance knows and Tween Aberstone learns... The True Knot are quasi-immortal, living off the steam that children with The Shining produce when they are slowly tur- tortured to death. Haunted by the inhabitants of the Overlook Hotel, where he spent one horrific childhood year, Dan has been drifting for decades, desperate to shed his father's legacy of despair, alcoholism, and violence. Finally, he settles in a New Hampshire town, an AA community that sustains him, and a job at a nursing home where his remnant Shining power provides the crucial final comfort to the dying. Aided by a prescient cat... He becomes Dr. Sleep. And that's all I'll read of the plot summary. Uh, published September 24th, 2013. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I got for that. So, mm-hmm. so Tiny, non-spoilers, uh, what did you think of the novel Dr. Sleep? Uh, I really, really loved it. Um Immediately after I finished it the first time, I was like, "This this is a top five King book." Oh, sweet! Like, that's how much I enjoyed it. Um, I really, I just told the sort of anecdote about how I didn't even realize it was about Danny Torrance. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize, even if I had known that back in 2013, I didn't know how much. I wanted to know what happened to Danny Torrance. Oh, like I, yeah. Like I just, I just, I wasn't prepared for how enthralled I was going to be to revisit his character nice. and, and to see what he became as a man and how not necessarily a spoiler alert, just to be how disappointing mm-hmm. he kind of became as an adult. Right. Um, and just what he fell into. Um, I, I love the choices that, king made for his character mm-hmm. and and just that alone was was enough to for it to be a great book um nice. but then you weave in this super like scary and disturbing plot of this this these true not villains mm-hmm. just just blend beautifully into the story um nice. and 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 with the characters and uh to the whole universe of the shining mm-hmm. um I, I, it's, it was just a fantastic sequel. Um, yeah. um, and again, not a spoiler, but I'm, I'm super satisfied. I kind of, I kind of hope this is the last time that Stephen King writes about the Torrances. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm, I'm just, I was so satisfied with where he took it and what he did with the characters that, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't really want any more. I don't, there's nothing else that I want from the Torrance family. Um, I don't, I'd, I'd rather just let them, let them be where they ended with this book, if that makes sense. Uh, I definitely agree. I did have some, uh, I had some questionable, not issues with some of the, some of the things, but I, there were a couple things we'll talk about in spoilers that I was like, okay. really? Like, like I was just like, this is happening. All right, fine. <laughs> um, but for the most part, yeah, I, I'm on the same page. I, 
really was enthralled by this book, not necessarily so much because, oh, it's Dan Torrance, although that was a big part of it, um, but mostly because I was so interested in the concept of the True Knot and the way those characters are depicted as villains. I mean, they're villains, they're evil characters, but yeah. the reasoning behind them and their 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 quest and everything is, is really um, interesting in terms of the moral gray area. I, I don't know if I'd say moral gray area, but like the logic behind their, they're not pure evil characters. <laughs> like they're right. not, I mean, they're evil, but they're not like evil for the sake of evil. They have a, right. an arc to them. Um, I'll talk more about that in spoilers. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was very engaged with the plot and, uh, I was really interested in learning more about adult Dan Torrance. And yeah. what I found fascinating about the book is that it's like, it's this, and again, I'll talk more in spoilers or I guess I can talk about this non spoilers, but it is, I think what I kind of said in the, about the miniseries, um, it's been so long since we recorded that episode, but what's interesting is that it's an extension of what he did in the miniseries in the 90s. And what I mean by that is that in the miniseries, he changed the story to incorporate Jack Torrance being in AA. And the reason yeah. that he did that is because he himself found AA and got sober. Mm-hmm. That was, if I'm understanding correctly, I believe that King got sober around the late 80s. Um, so when he wrote the miniseries, he put AA into into the plot. Um, and I thought that was an interesting evolution of this story. And one of the things that I find just fascinating about Stephen King's career is that The Shining in addition to being one of the like big focal points in a pop culture sense, is that it has this weird trajectory throughout his entire career that it grows with him in ways that both uh, accentuate his life and his like where he is at a certain time in, in his life, I presume. And also it has adverse effects like with the Kubrick uh, um adaptation and everything mm-hmm. and it's just it's so interesting to see the 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 story of the torrance family and the story of the shining and dr sleep play out across all of these different iterations and mediums and everything and reflect stephen king in in specific ways and dr sleep the novel is no different to that because it is very much steeped in alcoholics anonymous and yeah despite it being anonymous stephen king is you know he's he, like he <clears throat> he has experience with that and everything. And it's just very interesting to see him take a character that was a child when he wrote him in the seventies and create an adult version of that character that has both the demons of his father, of the character's father Mm -hmm. and demons of Stephen King's own history. Yeah. In fusing that with this, discovery of Alcoholics Anonymous and in incorporating his own I don't think it's too I don't think it's too strong to say his salvation into into the story of Dan Torrance. I just think that that's all of that is just really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So I I was really engaged with that and then uh yeah, some cool shining stuff and cool psychic <laughs> kid stuff. Yeah. Um true. so yeah. Um, so you said that it's going to be, that it's like a top five King book. Yeah. We do. If you remember, <laughs> <laughs> we have a running list of our top 19 we Stephen do. King books. I just 
discreetly sent you a message that it was a screenshot of our current top 19s. <laughs> um, so where does it land? Should we, or should we wait until after the spoiler? Um, I'm, I'm fine throwing okay. it in right here. Um, and then we'll go to spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Let me think here. I'm going to cheat and go to my actual ranking to find mine. Mm-hmm. And remember, whatever you pick, it knocks out number 19. Right. Which for you, it, oh shit, for you it's the Wastelands. Yeah, that's rough. Ooh. Wow, and 112263 is 18. It is. It that's, is 18th, yeah. That's something. Yeah, I didn't, that's like your, yeah, I was going to say that's like your number one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't love, again, it, love it as much as you did. I definitely like that book a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, I think with your list, I think it was more, um, I, I think it was more, um, uh, loose. Like you, like it is, I know for like, a fact. Yeah. yeah. Like my top, my top three to five is like pretty locked, mm-hmm. but everything else is sort of fall where it might, you sure. know? Um, and yeah. For so what are your top, my top five, uh, five right now is, uh, drawing of the three dark tower book nice. two. Uh, the Shining at number four, The Stand at number three, Misery at two, and The Dark Tower book seven at number one is my favorite. So nice. I'd probably um, put it. I'd probably put Doctor Sleep in at number five, okay, and drop down the the Drawing of the Three out of the top five. But I'd probably bump um, like Salem's Lot, okay, honestly, um, or maybe. Maybe like Mr. Mercedes. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have to think about what to bump. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the bottom the bottom 14 or so are just kind of interchangeable, really. I, yeah. I mean... That's fair. That's kind of how... I, I kind of do that with my list sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with an, like a list that's always changing like this. Yeah. So... And like with me, my list is not even the updated list from that because I've included Revival into it. So <clears throat> okay. for me, Dr. Sleep is in, is number 16. And mm-hmm. Revival is actually number 17. Okay. So, like, my 15th to 19 is The Gunslinger, Dr. Sleep, uh, The Gunslinger at 15, Dr. Sleep at 16, Revival at 17, Mr. Mercedes at 18, and Salem's Lot at number 19. Okay. So, yeah, um, we'll revisit this as we go along with this podcast. Yeah. So, we're going to go into spoilers for Dr. Sleep, the novel. Um, we both liked it, so we're going to heap praise upon it. Yep. Um, so, if you haven't read Dr. Sleep and you uh, don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and turn this off or come back. Or and come back. Oh, my God. Okay, spoilers on for Dr. Sleep. Okay, so spoilers on for Dr. Sleep, the novel. Yeesh. Um, so, Tiny, there's a lot of stuff to go through, and I don't think we really have a lot of time. I'm yeah, kinda get unfortunately. This, I kind of want to get us done soon. So, yeah. So, um, where to start? So, uh, we didn't really go into many specifics in the non Yeah, like any. <laughs> yeah, at all. So, we're kind of freeballing in here. So, let's talk about the relationship of Dan and Abra. Mm-hmm. Um, let me start by just saying the thing that I always forget because thankfully it wasn't included in the movie. The familial relation between Dan and Abra. Yeah. Dan is 
literally her uncle because right. Jack Torrance had an affair and birthed Abra's mother, right? Grandma, grandmother, mother, mother. Yeah, he he had an affair with her grandmother. Yes, yes. There you go. That's a yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel about that? Because it's treated as this big surprise mm-hmm. late in the novel. How did you feel about that plot element of the story? I didn't dislike it, but mm-hmm. I feel like it was entirely unnecessary. I agree. Because um, uh, I don't... I think uh, it's never established anywhere in the oeuvre of mm-hmm. The Shining that the shine, the the ability of the shine is, like, hereditary necessarily. Right. Like, typically it's kind of in the family, but, like, mm-hmm. neither Wendy nor Jack Torrance had the shine. Right. And as far as Danny Torrance knows, none of the other people in his family had the shining. Right. If I recall correctly. That's correct. And, yeah. like, and there is precedent for, like, a familial, like, hereditary right, thing. Right, with Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran. Right. But... Honestly, okay, so this is how I feel about it, and this is going to drag down a certain beloved franchise that has already been dragged down a lot, um, <laughs> uh, maybe even from the beginning, uh, <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I don't, I don't like Star Wars. I'm just going to come out and say it. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Star Wars. We know. Yes. Obsessiveviewer.com uh, and all the death threats I get. Um, <laughs> so... I don't like Star Wars, and one of the reasons why I don't like Star Wars, and one of the reasons why I don't like The Rise of Skywalker, and I love The Last Jedi, is because so much of Star Wars is like, oh, a family thing. It's the Skywalker saga. It's like, you're birthed in, like, it's your birthright to be a Jedi and everything. And I'm like, it's unnecessary. Like, you don't need a monarchy or whatever. You don't need royalty and everything. And that's why I love The Last Jedi. Having Abra be, like, a blood relative of Dan Torrance, like you said, it feels completely superfluous. Like, completely unnecessary. And I would say that it borderline detracts from the overall story, because the idea of the True Knight is that they are traveling the world or traveling the country looking for people who shine. Right. And it's, like, just the idea that anyone can shine and anyone can be on their radar for sustenance is a scary thought. And just having like the connection be a familial one is just, I don't know. It's entirely unnecessary. And and plus the, the ability of the shine is such a strong connection between two characters anyways. Yeah. As evidenced by the first book Mm -hmm. between Dick Halloran and Danny Torrance. Yeah. You know, these people who are, I mean, culturally, ethnically, mm-hmm. age-wise, generationally, yeah. gener- completely different people. Oh, totally. Have this like almost a familial link because yeah. they're so close because they share something that's so unique, mm-hmm. and that could have been just as well established between yeah. Danny and Abra mm-hmm. without the hereditary, the you know, familial link, like yeah. you were saying. Um, this is probably for later in this episode, but like. I would, it would be really cool. I don't know if he would be able to pull it off, but like in theory, it would be really cool if there was a third book where it's Abra as an adult who is like, she ha- she's finding, like, there's another like nefarious group of like 
villains who mm-hmm. are seeking out people who shine, and she has to like band together the pe- some of the people that shine and have like a dream warriors type of like uh, final fight and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but anyway. Um, yeah, so the familial link didn't do anything for me either. I yeah. did like how it tied into, well, I like is a strong word. <laughs> um, I thought it was kind of interesting how the way it's like hinted at and then revealed is the, that she like rubs her lips or dry rubs yeah, her mouth. Right. Um, like Jack did, mm-hmm. um, which also feels a little pointless. Um, yeah. <laughs> because the reason that he did that, that Jack did that was the alcoholism right um and she also has like a temper yeah that's true she can yeah. get set off really quick mm-hmm. um which is one of the things i loved about the movie we're not talking about the movie right yeah um that's but, another four months yeah <laughs> 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 um but yeah i thought the familiar thing was just was just an unnecessary mm-hmm. part of the story but i don't I, I i i kind of agree with what you said that a borderline detracted from from mm-hmm. it a little bit but it didn't like it didn't bother me too much. Okay. I just thought it was unnecessary. Sure. Yeah. So the other, the let, let's let's walk it back a little bit and talk about the beginning. When we're introduced to Abra, there is something that Stephen King did that I thought was, I thought was really interesting and really kind of clever. But I want to have a dialogue with you about it because I'm okay. curious if it's there's an ickiness to it. Okay. Abra's like first, the first sh- indicator that she can shine. She is a toddler, I think. She's she's a small, very small child, mm-hmm. and she has. Uh, she basically predicts nine eleven. Yeah, and the way it unfolds is so like. I was listening to it on Audible, and I'm like, this is. This is really like this is good writing. This yeah. is this is a good piece of writing from King, because. It's just gradually like like um I can't remember specifically if if she like put an image of a number in her mother's head or her mother dreamed about something because Abra I don't know. But it's like the number of one of the flights. Hmm. And like it's a completely innocuous number and like when you're listening to it or reading it, you're like, I don't know how this connects. And then they're at the hospital because Abra had 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 like a seizure or something. And then like there's like little things here and there that's like, Oh yeah, you know, the doctor isn't in yet because uh, you know, it's early in the morning and then like Abra's dad like looks around and he's like, well, you know, it's an empty, it's a pretty empty hospital waiting area because it's an early Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then like it comes to fruition and it's like, oh, it's nine eleven, And it's yeah. just like, I, there's something to the reveal of it being nine eleven that, that kind of, um, <laughs> that kind of, uh, that kind of really worked for me. And I want to get your read on that, but I want to share an anecdote real quick. Okay. Um, I was driving with my nephews and my sister um, the other day, um, and we were passing by the airport, um, and two things happened. <laughs> One is like, well, uh, yeah, okay. One was that my nephew Landon, who is uh a certain age <laughs> he's like six <laughs> or seven um he like there were planes taking off and landing by the airport mm-hmm. and like <laughs> uh they <laughs> landon <laughs> sees one that's making its descent toward the airport mm-hmm. and he says just completely calmly without any indication that he has any that he has any awareness of what this phrasing means but he meant it as like 
he meant it a certain way, but he's like, that plane's going down. (laughs) 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 Like, like I, I, (laughs) I almost screamed with laughter (laughs) because it was so, it's like the classic, like, this is kind of a creepy kid. Yeah. Um, and he was just oh, like, shit. yeah, the plane is going down. <laughs> um, and he just meant, yeah, the plane is making its descent. Right. <laughs> and then my sister had to be like, Landon, just, just it's landing. It's landing. Don't like say it name. that way. Like, don't say it like that. <laughs> but then, the reason that I say this, before that, they had seen planes taking off, and they're like, oh, wow, we've never seen a plane take off. And um, uh, so, Landon, again, Landon's kind of creepy. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and say that. I'm sorry, Landon, in the future, if you're listening to this, but you were a creepy kid. So, <laughs> I love you, though. But he, Landon was like, uh, I've never been on a plane. And Gavin, my other nephew, was like, I've never been on a plane either. Um, Gatlin, if you're listening to this in the future, you haven't been born yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway. Um, so, they're like, yeah, we haven't been on a plane before. And then uh, Landon is like... I don't, I'm scared to go on a plane because they crash. Oh I'm my like, God. Like morbid kid, man. Jeez. And then Gavin said, <laughs> Gavin said, I'm scared to go on a plane because of 1911. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, oh, kids, kids are, kids are something. Say the darndest things. They sure do. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and Landon was just standing in front of, like standing beside my bed. He, I don't know how he got in my apartment. He's just like, the plane is going down. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's anyway, lovely. Yeah. So what did you think of the nine 11 stuff in Dr. Sleep? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a pretty cool way to introduce mm-hmm. her, her shine and how it's, it's, uh, alluded to throughout the book that Abra is particularly strong. Like she's, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the again in the universe of the Shining that Stephen King has created, she's probably the most powerful shiner. Yeah, that that we've known. Um, and so it's, I I love how it was demonstrated that she she's like a baby. Like she can't talk yet. Like that's how young she is. I believe so. She's yeah. like a, basically almost not an infant, but like you know in diapers, not walking yet. I think mm-hmm. she's that young and she's has that much of an emotional connection to all those people. That's a good, it was a really cool way to demonstrate it. Um, and her, her power was, uh, alluded to again, very effectively. I think her birthday party, she was like five or something. I think something Maybe like even that. Yeah. Younger than that. And, uh, there's a thing where she kind of, she did something with the spoons, like sticking in the ceiling or something like that. Yeah, you may be conflating it with the movie. Wait, conf- okay, but it, it's something with the spoons in the book, I think. Right. Yeah. But anyways, like that's those were both very effective mm. and like set the stage pretty well for for her um, her mysticism or her mm. importance, I guess. Right. Yeah. And there's a bit of a prologue, and we'll talk briefly about this um was that your foot yeah sorry they're fine um so we'll talk briefly about this but there's a bit of a prologue with danny and wendy post the overlook yes and uh danny finds the woman from room 217 in the bathtub of the place that they're staying and everything dick comes to like help them out and everything um i had such i got such a vibe off of that of I, I had this weird f- sensation that they were going to kill off Wendy and and uh, and Dick. Yeah. At that moment, 
Um, that didn't happen, but right, I, I just right. got that sense, like that that sense of um, foreboding out of that. How did you feel about that prologue thing and and the concept of the lockbox that Dick gives to uh, Danny? Really, the lockbox thing was super brilliant. Yeah, and I loved the way it was used uh, later on in the book, and mm-hmm. it's just just a, such a cool concept. Um, just again, high high concept thinking from King. Great writing, mm-hmm. um, and then the the whole prologue I really enjoyed as well. Just I was like flooded with nostalgia. Yeah, um, just being with those characters again in the you know in the like seventies or so when when mm-hmm. that book took place. Um, yeah, just super super effective, and and you know it, it was nice to um sort of be with the character of Dick Halloran again. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it, it was great. Um, I think the one, the one sort of shortcoming of the book, or I don't know if it's a shortcoming, but one area that I kind of wish would have been uh, more expansive or respective would would have been the character of Wendy. Um, oh yeah, she's barely in the book, really. Um, and I feel like. One of my favorite things about revisiting The Shining last year was that I forgot how great of a character she is and how yeah. how relevant she is to the story and she she's this very savior like character mm-hmm. and and keeps her head amongst all this this incredibly disturbed man and this very confused and terrified young boy. She's, right. she's kind of a rock and I, I loved, I loved her character and I kind of for it, that didn't sink in with me the first time I read it as a 12 year old. Sure. Um, obviously. Um, and so I, I just, I really loved her character and I, I kind of wish she would have had a better ending sort of. Yeah. If she had to be in this book. It kind of just you know? glosses over it. Yeah. Like her and Dick. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, they're dead now, which is expected because, you know, they're Right, old. right. But it's just like, I, I kind of felt like they're such important figures in Dan's life that I feel like they should have had more of a moment. And such great characters. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. But. I also loved, uh, um, to, to kind of allude to the whole lockbox concept, um, mm. Dick Halloran's story yeah. about his grandfather is that who I he was? believe so. Yeah, yeah his uh, his grandfather and his his abuse yeah. and just literal sadism mm-hmm. um, and torture of him, and then that the story of his grandfather's ghost that. Is that was fucking scary. Terrifying. I was I was like hold it was super effective. Yeah, and at the concept level even. Yeah. Like just like the idea that like your tormentors are still around. Right. Like they won't leave. Can't get rid of them. Yeah. Like yeah. that is that is something that's so just like ripe for just yeah. plotting. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was done very well in that section of the book. Absolutely. I love that. So that, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the first, you know, hour and a half, two hours of the book or, you know, the first handful of chapters. And I was like, I'm already like hook, line, sinker in this book. This is awesome. Yeah. I'm so happy to be back here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a great way to start the book. Totally. And so we get Dan, as an adult, he has alcohol problems and everything, <clears throat> and kind of his big he does he something happens to him early in the book. He gets into a fight, he goes home with a woman, and he steals money from her mm-hmm. um after they snorted a bunch of coke and everything, yeah, and he steals the money, knowing that she has a child, 
and it's it's such an interesting thing because you have this is a this is a this is a transgression of the character that is haunting him just as much as the overlook like ghosts are right it's a specter throughout it as this throughout the book and it's like at times he has to like resolve that within himself and it's just it's really interesting and i think that getting ahead to the next episode like the movie depicts this beautifully yes um just so so good but i really like the way that it it kind of comes into play as as something that he's he's working through and something that he's afraid of and like to bring up in AA and everything. It links into his, his Alcoholics Anonymous storyline. And that's something I find very just interesting. And it's a good way to show like just how vulnerable and I don't want to say not ready, but like how vulnerable and unsure of himself and unconfident he is in his ability to work through his abuse issues and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was very, uh, evocative. Totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so moving right along, um, <laughs> let's talk about the true knot. Yes. Um, <laughs> then trying to do, uh, um, a, uh, Mordred thing. Uh, true knot, a hungry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I love the True Knot, man. Yeah. I such a cool villain. Such a cool like concept. And what I appreciate about them is that they're not, as I kind of alluded to in a very slap slap together way in the non spoiler, they are not evil for the sake of evil. They are not the Crimson King that wants to topple yeah. the tower to reign over nothing. There's like a survival aspect. There's a, such a survival yeah. aspect. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, there was like a survival aspect to like Pennywise and, right. and other like villains in Kings like Uvra. But here it just seems like this is their primary focus. Like they are evil because they don't have a problem with destroying the lives of children and and killing people so that they can subsist on on their on their steam mm-hmm. but the fact that the reason that they do, do that they do that is so that they will survive is such an interesting concept and so there are so many layers to it so how did you feel about the true knot and their motivation throughout the story uh, all, all of what you said and then and then especially um, I, I love that it really expanded the uh, how dynamic the concept of the shining is yeah and how because you know in the in the first book and everything it's it's an established thing and we know that there are multiple people out there who have it mm-hmm. um and and it's 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 a phenomenon but the fact that it's it's prevalent to the point that it has a villain mm-hmm. <laughs> is so cool and just like i just love the level that he, level that he took that stephen king took it to yeah that that's how much he expanded the universe of the shining and the, the ability of the shine to, to where it has a villain and that there are people who seek it out Mm -hmm. and, and seek it out in a really disturbing evil way. Um, I just, I really loved it. And I loved the, I always loved the concept of like, um, like deep time and like a character who experiences deep time. Like, um, like, Kind of in, in immortality, okay. like um, like in I thought uh, some of the characters like in Lost, like, oh not, yeah, not to spoil Lost, but mm. like you know, um, yeah, like I- immortality is just a really 
cool concept. It, it's it can be kind of dumb and like mm. not used to great effect. But I, I just had think same it's thought. Like, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, but no, I had cool. the same thought about five, maybe twelve hundred years ago. I, I thought that same thing. <laughs> You're hilarious. So yeah, thank you. Anyway, uh, but I just, totally I, worth interrupting you. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Like Rose the Hat, like. Like she started out like in Ireland, and like she has like an Irish accent, and then you know she has this uh, this gypsy like uh, Irish gypsy quality to her, um, and that's just that's a very old concept, but sort of established. Like I, I understood the the reference of it, but um, yeah, like she's so old that she. How old her. is she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just I just I just think that's a cool. I, I just dig that. Yeah. Whenever that, I don't know. It, it's an interesting concept, like playing with that whole idea of like, oh, these people have immortality or something relative to that, mm-hmm. but like at what cost? <laughs> like, right, like right. Like how much of a, like what do they do to achieve that and subsist um, and everything? Right. That's um, that's one of the cooler cons- parts yeah. of immortality is that there's always, there's usually some astronomical cost that makes mm-hmm. it not worth it. Let me tell you about the last... 500 years. Anyway. Um, yeah, that, uh, I just, I was really fascinated by the true knot. Yeah. Um, just as character, like their dynamic and, and the kind of the closeness of like the kind of tribal, like, um, yeah, I don't want to say cultish behavior, R- but like, ritualistic, ritualistic. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, just that it's just so, it feels like this is a, a small community of, of, like a lived-in community of, of people, yeah, nomadic people. I think one of the coolest um, creatures. Yeah, one of the coolest uh, lines that's used in two different contexts is when, um, uh, gosh, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, the snake. Um, oh, snake bite Andy. Snake bite Andy. When they turn her, mm-hmm. um, and she kind of comes around and she's like, "Am I still human?" And Rose the Hat says, "Do you care?" Yeah, that's and right. And then. Dick Halloran kind of says the same thing mm. uh, with, you know, when Danny asks him, when I put those ghosts or you know, entities into my into the lockbox, are they still alive in there? And he says, do you care? Mm-hmm. Such a cool so good. juxtaposition and, and uh, you know, a fun, a fun use of that, mm-hmm. of that phrase in two different contexts. It was, again, just great writing. Totally. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Dan's time in... Teeny Town and that that mm-hmm. whole thing. Like I, I love this, and I've always loved this about King's writing. This idea of just this found home, like yeah, like finding your people and finding your quartet anywhere you can. And he just kind of stumbles into this town, and he makes friends with. I think in the book he makes friends with two different people. But yes, in the movie it economizes into Cliff Curtis's character. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's so just rich to me and like it's aa is a big part of that and i i like the way it's connected to abra in terms of the doctor and everything mm-hmm. um it's all a bunch of cool stuff that i don't know if we really have much to comment on about right it. well it's just it is also just great to see for his character because danny torrance has been through so much hell mm-hmm. that i think in that town he he truly like found happiness and a purpose mm-hmm. and all that and yeah just in in respect to his character was uh really satisfying yeah absolutely yeah. um so the overlook we can yes. kind of should we kind of start kind of wrapping up yeah yeah we yeah. can we can skip ahead okay so the overlook when 
it's kind of I don't want to say revealed or anything, but like we eventually get to the end game of it is uh, is they're going to the site of the Overlook, and obviously the Overlook is burned down, so it's just like an empty lot or something. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the showdown between you know Dan and the True Knot? And uh, how that how the climax of the story played out. Um, I, I was a fan. I think it was uh, there were a very high stakes, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved. Um, you know, the, I, not that you necessarily empathize with or sympathize with the true knot, but you really detect and and I guess relate to their desperation. Yeah, in that moment, you know that like. They're 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 grasping at straws to the point where Rose the Hat thinks that she can kind of turn Abra into this like like a cow almost, yeah. where she can like slowly over time, you know, milk milk Abra for steam and mm-hmm. instead of hunting down and and gathering these little bits of steam here and there, like it's just such an interesting survival aspect, right? It, and and so many of the true knot have have died, and, yeah. and they're infected, and they're just desperate and mm-hmm. really grasping at straws. And when you, uh, characters like that are desperate, it's it's dangerous, and yes. you really feel you really feel the danger and the evil mm-hmm. culminating in that that uh, climax of the story, and, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I, I really like. I really dug the way that the, that it was so cerebral, where like mm-hmm. Danny and Abra were sort of, you know, projecting themselves and like yeah. going inside their minds and opening lockboxes and shit like that. Just super. That's hard. It was. It was sort of hard to envision. Mm-hmm. I guess as as the reader trying to picture all that, but I think just it, it, the concepts of it translated pretty well. Yeah, and, and I was able to sort you know understand obviously understand what was going mm-hmm. on, but it's, have a decent picture of what was happening. Right, and it's interesting that it's kind of uh, I don't want to say a riff on, but like it's it's somewhat similar in theory to kind of how uh, the final showdown with Pennywise in, in the book it, mm. uh, kind of goes down with um, uh, Bill and 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 it um, kind of doing this kind of cerebral like metaphysical kind of battle of wills yeah lsd trip basically pretty much yeah (laughs) um so it's interesting that king kind of returned to that well Um, yeah definitely yeah so obviously you know um danny wins (laughs) yeah everything turns out okay how do you feel about the ending of the book um yeah i liked it i i I think it was conclusive and i i want I want this to be the last time that mm-hmm. King writes about the Torrances. And yeah. honestly, I don't, I think it'd be kind of fun if there's sort of some Easter eggy references to the shine. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, like, I mean, in, in the dark tower, you know, um, Jake has the shining basically, yeah. but it's not called that. Oh, well, yes. Like no you one were talking about the books, the books. Okay. Yeah. The books. Yeah. Um, uh, no one ever, no one ever calls it the shining in the dark tower, do they? I don't believe so. Yeah, I, I really don't. don't yeah. I don't think they, but that's it's, that's, all, it's called the touch in the book. The touch. Yeah. That's right. That's what he calls it. Yeah. But, um, but that's what it is. He has the shining. I mean, that's mm-hmm. basically what it is. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's fun if that's interjected in other parts of King's universe. That's cool. But I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't ever care to visit the overlook again or, mm-hmm. or the, um, the Torrance family or, okay. or, or Danny or even Abra. I mean, as great of a character as she was, mm-hmm. is, 
Um, yeah, yeah I th- I, it was conclusive, and I'm totally happy with that. What if from now on every King book that he writes, <laughs> it's revealed at the end of each book that the protagonist of said book was secretly the like descendant of Jack Lawrence. Oh, God. Um, and by the end of King's career, you have just a family tree of Jack Torrance banging co-eds. Oh my God. Uh, throughout the 70s. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, you could have like a very, like, that's the King universe there. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked the ending too. I thought the final confrontation was really well done. Um, there's a moment where he's either stabbing himself or cutting himself by the will of, of Rose the Hat. Right. Or she's trying to compel him to cut Abra. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a really interesting dynamic um, that clearly is interesting because I remember it so clearly. <laughs> but it's just, it was a, it was a really intense um, Definitely. ending. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, one big thing. I know we probably missed a ton of stuff. I'm so sorry for that. We'll look forward to the movie review. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Dark Tower reference. Oh, before we get to the Dark Tower reference, mm-hmm. let's talk about the secret or not secret, but like the, uh, the real, the real star of the, of the story. <laughs> Um, oh, Azrael, the cat. <laughs> um, Azzy. Yeah. Uh, good kitty or bad kitty? Eh, who cares? Let's take that again. <laughs> good kitty or bad kitty? Obviously a good kitty. Good kitty, yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry you had to hear that pizza. <laughs> Official mascot of Obsessive Viewer Podcast. <sighs> but the Dark Tower reference, do you remember what it was? I don't think I do, actually. There's a moment late in the book where Dan says, I don't remember exact the exact contents, but or context, but he just says, there are other worlds than these. Oh, man, I forgot about and that. And I was like, man, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I love, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's about it, because we're running low on time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, final thoughts. It's your number what? Five? I probably, yeah, I think I put it at number five. Number five? Okay. Yeah. I had it at number 16, I believe. Okay. Um, check the show notes for our current top 19 Stephen King novels. Yeesh. Um, so, yeah, so Tiny, that's it for Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Um, overall thoughts on for me, I, I loved it as well. Um, is it a book that you'll revisit? I've listened to it twice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. At some point, I probably will. But uh, there's just so much other stuff I want to read. There, Yeah, there really is. Yeah. Um, so next time on the podcast, we're going to talk about Dr. Sleep, the 2019 adaptation from Mike Flanagan. Uh, friend of the show, Mike Flanagan? Check your DMs. <laughs> but... <laughs> He's, he's he's not going to anyway um so uh dr sleep uh the movie really excited to talk to you about it um and then yeah i think after that we're gonna do doom key finally and then we're gonna tackle castle rock season two um yeah castle rock um yeah and i'm really excited because if i if we if i can pull this off i haven't been able to pull it off yet but i have a goal that intermittently throughout the year and i'm saying this in march so (laughs) grain of salt (laughs) i want to release commentary tracks 
as podcast episodes for Stephen King adaptations. Okay. Um, so I have every intention of dragging you into them, Tiny. Um, <laughs> we'll work it out. I think the first one will likely come out early next month in April 2020. Um, so look forward to that. Um, in the meantime, check out our other shows, Obsessive Viewer Podcast and Anthology. Uh, Anthology is about the Twilight Zone. Obsessive Viewer is about whatever I force these people to watch and talk to me about. <laughs> um, yeah. Any final thoughts on Stephen King, Dr. Sleep, uh, Alzi the Cat? God. I just, I really loved it. It's, it's one of the best times I've had with a Stephen King, a new Stephen King book in a while. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Really I loved it too. And I think it, it might be something that I could see myself revisiting down the line as like, okay, I'm going to have this playing in the background in, yeah. on Audible. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, so having said all that, that's it for this episode of Tower Junkies. Of course, check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for additional content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. Forgot to mention that at the top of the show. Uh, we talked ad nauseum, uh, ad nauseum <laughs> about my experience uh, watching Onward in the theater with a special companion which was a pile of vomit. <laughs> so check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer minimum rate or minimum donation of $1 per month. will get you access to an RSS feed with plenty of nonsense like that. <laughs> so check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. That's it for this episode of tower junkies. Thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Yep. Um, I went to Target with Ashley today because she is officially eight months pregnant. Mm-hmm. Her baby shower is Saturday. And she like commented on someone walking out of Target with a, ba- uh, with a diaper genie. Okay. And so I was like, I don't understand diaper genies. Granted, I don't have kids. I don't plan on having kids or anything. Yeah, I don't know but, what that is either. I don't know what a diaper genie is. Oh, yeah. Well, see, this is going to ruin the joke then. Um, because <laughs> I was just like, what is the point of getting a diaper genie? Because I mean, you only get three wishes, and it can only <laughs> grant wishes about diapers. So you get th- it's buying three diapers. <laughs> just buy bulk. <laughs> but no, a diaper genie is like to dispose of used diapers. Oh, it's like that special trash can. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. <clears throat> um, yeah, and then I asked her if the if if you if an adult were to eat baby food, would they turn into a baby? And follow up question: If an adult, no, if a baby ate adult food, would they then turn into an adult? Ah, uh. yes. Which, the answer to the first question, obviously, is probably not. <laughs> and the answer to the second question is, eventually. <laughs> um, is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? <laughs> is that a serious question? No. <laughs> Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. 
This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!